Good morning. Jack prayed that technology would cooperate this morning, and that was a mistake. God has a sense of humor. (laughs) Uh, Today, we are continuing our series on what I'm calling Work Zone, where we're focusing on the things that we do when we gather on a Sunday morning and why we do these things. It has taken so much of our effort and our creativity to continue to gather throughout the last two, two years. We have gathered in more ways by more means than I could ever have imagined when I started here. And we put so much time and effort and money and, and sweat and tears and blood and, and all of that into being able to gather. And the question that I'm asking uh, and answering is why? Why is that so important? And in the first sermon, we talked about how normally we will, we will turn to two different reasons why the gathering is important. One is because it edifies us. We learn, we grow, we are encouraged, we're equipped. Uh, we receive when we worship. And there is scriptural basis for that, that that is something that's meant to happen when we gather. We also talked about the fact that the gathering is an opportunity for us to glorify God, that we come to worship, to, to thank him, and to um, just make a big deal about God. And that is also scriptural. But we recognize that those answers are incomplete because you don't ha- technically have to gather to do either of them. Last week, we talked about worship and about the fact that not only do you not have to be in a gathering to worship, anything, everything you do can be an act of worship. Anything that demonstrates your loyalty, love, and respect for God can be an act of worship. So you don't have to be, you can worship whether you're in a gathering of Christians, a gathering of non-believers, or completely by yourself. I also sincerely hope that, your, that the Sunday worship service is not your only opportunity to be edified, to be encouraged, to grow. Hopefully, you have personal devotions, you have small, a small group, you have prayer partners, you have, you have other things going on during the week. So why is this gathering so important? The answer that we came to based on Scripture is that there is something unique that happens when God's people gather together, that God is present in a special way when God's people gather, and that it matters what people do when they are gathered in God's name in his presence. And so we've been looking at the worship service as something that, not that we watch, but something that we do, that you are here to do certain things and that there is value in what we do as we gather. Last week, we looked at worship. We started with a call to worship because we're just going down the order of service and the things that we do every week. We talked about the fact that we gather every, when we gather, everything we do is worship because it is all meant to show our loyalty, love, and respect to God and to proclaim that to the world, and that worship is one of the most powerful things that God's people do. Worshiping God and not worshiping anyone or anything else as God. That is one of the most powerful things that Christians do. And I pointed out that contrary to popular usage, worship and singing are not the same thing. Worship can be anything that you do. So worship is not singing, and singing is not automatically worship. But, as you can tell by today's sermon, singing is important. It is a uniquely important version, uh, type of worship. If you remember, if you were here with us when we weren't singing because of COVID, and we found other ways to worship, but we weren't singing, you remember that there was something missing, right? The essentials were there. We were still worshiping, but something just was missing. And so today I want to talk about what that is. What does singing do in our worship service? So we're going to talk, first of all, about why we sing when we gather. 
The Bible isn't actually super strict about telling us to. It certainly isn't as as strict about telling us to as we are about making sure we do it. I think we sing first and foremost because we want to. So we're going to about, talk about why we worship, when, why we sing when we gather, and then we're going to look at what, does, what are we doing when we sing. Because if we see the worship service as an opportunity to do, to act, to work, then there's special value in singing as part of that work. So to talk about why we sing when we gather, I want to look at the very first time in Scripture that God's people gathered together to sing. That is in Exodus 15. This is the immediate aftermath of the parting of the Red Sea. If you remember, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, and God freed them from slavery, and so they were able to leave Egypt, and they were headed, toward, headed east toward the Red Sea. And when they got to the Red Sea, they were kind of stuck, and that's when they discovered that Pharaoh had changed his mind. So Pharaoh and his armies are bearing down on them to destroy them or re-enslave them or, or whatever, and they're terrified, and then all of a sudden, God parts the Red Sea. And they're able to walk across on dry land, and then as the Egyptian army follows them, God brings the seas back in to destroy the army and free the Israelites. It's the moment when not only are they free, but there's no danger anymore of them being taken back into into slavery. So we'll pick up at the very end of chapter 14. It says, That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. And the song continues on. Why, at this moment, did they sing? Well, there's the immediate obvious answer, but first, I want to talk about the most practical answer. Why did Moses and the Israelites sing? Well, I think if if you thought about it hard enough, you could pause the sentence at then Moses and the Israelites and ask, what do you think they're going to do next? And there's a pretty solid chance you could guess right for two reasons. But the first one is because what else are Moses and the Israelites going to do together? Moses and the Israelites are responding together, right? How many options do we have for ways that we can respond to something in unison as a group? But in perfect, see, that's the thing. If, if you've been to a volunteer opportunity, she said, do God's will. If you've volunteered with us, you know that it does take some effort to get everybody working synchronized, right? It takes coordination. But singing is something that we do together, Synchronized. That's why we sing so many times when we're gathered together, whether it's at a, a sporting event or when we want to do things together, we sing. Singing allows us to express ourselves together as a group. All of Israel was saved in this moment, and so if Israel as a group is going to respond to it, singing is the simplest, easiest, most obvious way for them to respond. So it makes good practical sense. Now, that's clearly being more practical and analytical than the Israelites were being at the moment, right? That, it's not like they sat around and said, okay, what is the best, most unified way we can respond? No, they probably responded not out of an anal- the analytical part of their mind, but out of the relief and the emotion and the passion. Because one of the unique things about singing is that singing allows us to express not just our thoughts, but our feelings and emotions. They did not simply want to express 
surprise at the fact that the seas parted when they normally don't. Right? They, weren't, they weren't simply wanting to remark on the strange weather patterns that caused this to occur and caused them to close back over the Egyptians as they, when the Israelites were safe. They wanted to express their relief, their joy. I mean, imagine these are people who have spent their entire lives in slavery, and not only have they been freed, they've been freed by the miraculous intervention of God. Can you imagine what they were feeling in that moment? Do you think anything but singing could have encapsulated that? Do you think any of them could talk with a normal voice at that time? <laughs> like just speaking in a normal voice. They were incapable of it. Because there is something special about art. That's, I think, I don't know what the, de- defining art is hard, but I would say it's those modes of expression that we have that help us to express our hearts as well as just the immediate thing that we're doing. And singing is, is an amazing way to do that. In fact, you know that the first words spoken by a human being in the Bible are, are singing, and it's Adam's reaction to seeing Eve for the first time. Also, interestingly enough, God, the vast majority of his dialogue is poetry. His artistry is music, in a way. And you can see, as you read the poem, as you read the Song of the Sea is what it's called, you can see that prose would not have worked. Just sentences, just descriptions without emotion would not have worked for what they wanted to say. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. As you read that, you're able to feel something of what they felt in the relief that not only did this, abstra- did this miracle happen, but it was a miracle that delivered them from slavery and death. And they describe it as this victory of God, this nat- strange natural phenomenon. They see it as, an, as a victory of God, which is exactly what it is. And that comes through in their emotional reaction. You, could even, you get a much better reaction or a description of what it felt like to go through the Red Sea when you read the way they poetically describe it. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. And it wasn't just that they, you know, the waters parted. It was like the blast of nostrils from an angry horse just blew it. It was like God just blew it in his anger and, and his, his you know, desire to come and save them. And it stood up like, like jello. Actually, I think it's like congealing butter is, I think, the way the word comes from. But it's this vivid imagery. And as we think about this instance of what they're reacting to, it makes perfect sense that they would do that, right? That they would react in this way, this, with this passion, with this emotion. But in reality, the moment after, the moment after they, God saved them is not the only time when it would be appropriate for them to respond that way. Right? Because God just gave them their entire lives. When are they done being thankful for the fact that they were delivered from the Red Sea? Should they ever be done? I mean, is that, are they ever over it? Even their children and their, their whole nation, the history of their nation is dependent on this. And so every time, they didn't just sing the song. They probably sang a lot of songs, but they wrote this song down. And they kept it. And they used it. Because every time they gather... They have reason to be grateful for what God has done. And singing is the appropriate reaction to the grace and mercy of God. If we just mentally say, oh yeah, God saved our ancestors, 
back then, this historical event, we just describe it as a historical event. Have we fully grasped the significance of what happened? The truth of what happened in this moment was the deliverance of an entire people and their dedication, God taking them on as his people, right? And there's a sense in which describing that as a historical event is not true enough. Reacting to it as deliverance, as something that personally frees God, the, the person who is celebrating this, as something in which they're emotionally invested, that is the truth. And so it's appropriate for us whenever we gather as people who've been delivered from God, we always have a reason to react emotionally, spiritually to the grace and mercy of God, not just on the day that we, are, you know, we walk on dry land through the Red Sea. And lastly, it's very important for us to remember singing helps us learn and remember. It is an incredibly powerful mnemonic device. I will confess, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but you may be able to relate to me. I will confess, there are times when I'm finding something in an alphabetical list, and if you listen carefully, you will hear me under my breath going, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, J, K, L, M, P, Q, R, S, T, V, W, X, Y, Z. Because if I cannot remember in the moment the order of the alphabet, I can sing it. If I'm looking through the New Testament, thanks, thankfully in Awana, I learned Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and the letter to the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus and Philemon, Hebrews and the book of James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, Judah, Revelation. I never, I never learned the Old Testament song, which is why to this day I cannot keep the order of the minor prophets in, straight in my head. But singing is a powerful tool for learning and remembering. And that's, again, why they wrote the song down. And they intentionally wrote it with material that they wanted to remember. Because this is how the song ends. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. You will bring them in and, join, and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. The end of that song reminds them of the lesson. If God freed you from slavery and he parted the Red Sea and he defeated Pharaoh, then he can get you where he said he was going to take you and you can trust him the rest of the way. So remember that. They put it in a song that they would remember. Unfortunately, they forgot anyway. And as you read the story, you see them continually failing to trust God to continue to be who he was. But the purpose of the song was to plant, help them to learn the history of what God had done, and to remember what that meant for their future. Songs are very powerful teaching tools. And so for all of those reasons, we bring music into our worship services. We bring them in because we're looking at things that we can do together when we gather, and singing is one of the best things to do together. We do it because it is the proper response to what God has done, that we need to express joy, not just say things or do, but we need to have an emotional response to God, and singing is the best way to do it. And we do it because it's a powerful teaching tool. Those are all good reasons to bring music into actually many different gatherings. We use music you know, in school to teach kids to remember the alphabet. But specifically, what does singing do when we gather as God's people, as the congregation? That's the question that I want to turn to now. What, is, what are we accomplishing, or what is God accomplishing through us when we sing? Because what I want you to take away from, from this series is the understanding that when you come and you participate and you do, that is valuable. 
So often we struggle to know how to assess whether church was worth our time or whether we were properly participating. And sometimes we'll, we'll judge it based on what we enjoyed or what we got out of it or how good of attention we were able to keep. But I want us to, to be able to understand that there is value in the participation in the doing. So what does singing do? What, I'm gonna, what we're going to do to answer that question is I'm going to read you two passages from Paul that are similar where he gives us instructions about singing. One of them is to the, the letter to the Ephesians and one is the letter to the Colossians. They're in different contexts, but they say very similar things. We're going to read them and then compare what they have in common. So here's Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the, oh, sorry, that's Ephesians. Okay, so that's, that's what he says to the Ephesians. And then there's a similar passage in his letter to the Colossians. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, so what do those two passages have in common? Let me ask the first question. Who are we singing to when we sing? These passages give us two answers. We're going to focus on the second answer first, because it's the one we're expecting. We sing to God. Ephesians says, sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Colossians says, talks about singing to God with gratitude in your heart. We sing to God. We sing praises to God, and, and this, is, this was something that was done in the temple, in temple worship. They would sing to God, and they considered it part of their services, part of their offering. Which is So the author of Hebrews is likely talking about uh, singing and other forms of worship when he says, "...through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise." the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So we sing to God. The question is, why do we sing to God? Why does God want us to sing? And how you interpret this verse depends on how you think about the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Because sometimes we think, people who criticize Christianity will say, man, what a horrible person just needs to be complimented all the time. Right? How, how fragile must God's ego be that he requires his people to be constantly complimenting him in song? And that actually makes sense as an interpretation when we think of sacrifice primarily as us apologizing for bad things we've done or trying to make peace with God, that the sacrifices are about God's angry and our sacrifices make him not angry with us. But if you remember from a couple of times in the past couple of years when we've talked about the sacrificial system, that's not what the Old Testament sacrifices were about. The majority of the Old Testament sacrifices, the vast majority, had nothing to do with sin. They were part of the relationship between God and his people. They were mostly offerings of food. In the Old Testament, it talks about God, there being a pleasing aroma from the sacrifices because what happened is you would, take a, you would butcher an animal and you would take parts of that animal and you would burn them on the altar and it was an offering of food to God. 
that's why they would eat the rest of the animal, because they were splitting the meal with God. Because most of the, the language of sacrifice is actually about having relationship with God. It's potlucking with God. It's communing with God over food and offering him the best part of the meal. And so when we offer a sacrifice of praise, it's not because God's angry and you're going to sing him into liking you again. The sacrifice of praise is us offering God something beautiful that blesses him, that he enjoys. You ever had people sing to you? For most of us, it's pretty much just the happy birthday song. But even then, when people sing to you, it's a blessing, right? They sing for you. That's what's happening when we sing. We offer a sacrifice of praise, meaning that we love God and we are going to dedicate time to offering him something that is a blessing, that is joyful, that is good. So when we sing, we make an offering that blesses God. I believe God enjoys our singing. No matter what you sound like, I believe God enjoys your singing and our singing. And because God enjoys our singing, it makes it a worthy thing for us to offer him. But then the question becomes, why, what motivates us to offer him our songs? Because it's not, I don't think God judges it based on the quality of our singing. It's what the singing is meant to communicate. And in both of these passages, Paul is very clear about what the, singing, the congregational singing communicates. He says, Sing and make music from your heart to God, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In Colossians, he says, Be thankful. He talks about singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and he tells them to give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. The theme in both of these passages is gratitude. We always have a reason to be grateful to God, Right? Which is why singing is appropriate in every gathering. And what happens when we sing, one of the things we accomplish when we sing is we make our gratitude real. Last week we talked about loyalty, love, and respect as things that are not just felt, they have to be done. And we sometimes get into this idea that God knows how I feel and that's enough. But remember when we talked about Peter? Peter said he was loyal to Jesus. But when it came down to it, he didn't act on it, right? And so would you judge him to have been lo really loyal to Jesus in that moment or not? He learned and he grew and he became loyal, but these are things that have to be done. And so when we sing our gratitude to God, that is us acting out our, our gratitude and making it real. There is a way in which gratitude becomes real when it actually changes your actions when you actually dedicate time to communicating it. And so when we have worshipped, when we have sung together in gratitude to God, we have made that gratitude real. Now, that is, I'm not telling you that that means you check off a box and say, okay, I'm done saying thank you to God for the week. We don't sing nearly enough songs for you to check off that box. But it is a moment when we can say there, I, in that moment I was showing my gratitude to God and it became real. But these passages tell us that we're not just singing to God. This is a surprising thing. In fact, they don't even start with singing to God. Notice in Ephesians, he, he says, uh, instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And in Colossians, he says, uh, he talks about teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. For Paul, the first thing he wants to talk about is how we are singing to each other. 
Now, why do we sing to each other? In both of these passages, the connection is the same. Notice he says, as you admonish, teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. If we go back to Ephesians, we notice that that's actually how, what leads Paul into talking about singing in the first place. He starts off by saying, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And in talking about wisdom, that leads him into the wise and unwise ways to worship. The pagans worshiped with a lot of drinking. It says, don't be filled with spirits, be filled with the spirit. And yes, that pun does translate. And being filled with the Spirit comes out in singing songs and spiritual songs. So, so for Paul, singing is a way that we bless each other and that we teach each other and we grow in wisdom. When we sing, we teach and bless each other. The songs that we sing and the words in those songs do matter. How many of you have gone home from a, worship, from a, from a service of some kind with a song stuck in your head and just stuck and you were singing it all day? How many of you have done that with the sermon? You just, the sermon was stuck in your head the whole time. Okay, those of you who did raise your hand, that's awesome. Um, which happens more? The song sticks in your head. Songs are very powerful teaching tools. And so it matters what we sing. And you may not even realize that you're being formed by the singing, but it happens. And as we sing together, we are teaching each other and we're blessing each other. Our communion hymn was especially loud and full today, and maybe it was also because I didn't have a guitar right in front of me, but that was a blessing to me. I would rather not, you know, I, I, my favorite thing about being on worship team is getting to hear all of you singing this direction because it's a blessing. And so we sing not just to God, but we sing for the benefit of each other. And not just so we can learn, but also because singing together has a particular power in, and a particular effect on the congregation. And Paul has this effect in mind in both of these passages that we've looked at. I'm going to go back into Colossians, but I'm going to rewind and I'm going to start a few verses before the Colossians passage that we read. Okay? Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and, put over all these, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity." Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And that is the conversation that leads him into congregational singing. His focus is on the unity of the congregation, the unity of the church, and that is expressed as we sing together. So, so in Colossians, he starts out talking about unity, and he ends up talking about wisdom. In Ephesians, we noted that he, he's talking about uh, wisdom at first, but he also ends up talking about uh, unity because he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in fear of Christ. Whenever Paul talks about congregational singing, the unity of the church is in sight because singing is something that unites us. 
when I first started here, I taught a Sunday school class, and it was interesting, the spectrum that started out, the, the seating was in a, a, you know, a square around me, and they sat based on the theological spectrum. The most conservative people in the class were on my right, the most liberal people in the class were on my left, and it kind of was a spectrum that way. And we would talk, and we would debate, and we would have misunderstandings, and we would hash them out, and we would get into all kinds of stuff, but then you know what we did? We all came in here, and we all sang together. And that shaped who we were as a class and who we are as a congregation, that we can go out and we can disagree on things, we can debate on things, we can have misunderstandings, we can be reconciled, and we can come here, and as we sing, we are actually together. I think this is what Paul has in mind when he says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you, can glor- you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a way in which I think he's holding up congregational singing. I'm probably reading too much into this, but it's, it's still helpful, I think, that he's kind of holding up congregational singing as the goal, that we would do all things as a church the way we sing congregationally, or at least the way we're meant to. And so when we sing, regardless of what other baggage may be happening, regardless of how you may feel about, you may, maybe you've got some kind of, your kids are fighting or something, or whatever kind of conflict is going on, we come here and we sing together, and when we sing, we live out the unity of the church. At least in that moment, we are, ready, in harmony. <laughs> I'm not sure that's actually even a pun, that's just true. We're in harmony with each other. And lastly, and this is, this is kind of, I'm going to have to do this quickly, um, but I just, I love this image. I think it's powerful. When we sing, we're not just singing as a congregation. We're joining into a song that's already being sung. First of all, we join in a song, into the singing of angels. If you've been in a, an Anglican or Episcopalian service, they will say as part of their liturgy that we join our voices with angels and archangels who are, sing, who are before the throne singing, and they'll quote this song that comes up in the Bible. When the prophets see the throne of heaven, there's a common theme going on. Isaiah saw, um, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the New Testament, when John sees the temple, sees, sees the, uh, the throne room, it says, day and night they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As we sing, we're singing a song that's already being sung in heaven, but it's not just being sung in heaven, because we also join with the singing of creation. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to, all, to the ends of the world. Worship is showing love, respect, and loyalty to God. And creation cannot help but show that love, loyalty, and respect to God because it obeys him. It obeys his design. And so the babbling of a brook is worship. The rolling of thunder is worship. The sound of rain is worship. It's creation obeying its creator and recognizing him as the lawgiver and and the designer. And so creation is worshiping God all around us, waiting for us to join in the chorus. But I still haven't filled out the whole choir. Because finally... When we sing, we're joined with the singing of angels, creation, and God himself. 
Notice, where does the singing come from in these passages we've been looking at? It comes from our hearts, but it also comes from being filled with the Spirit. And we sing songs that come from the Spirit. There is a sense, just like the Spirit prays through us and gives us words to pray, the Spirit sings through us. Even as we offer God worship as singing, we don't do that just on our own. We don't have to do that alone. God helps us to sing. There's also pictures of Jesus involved in our worship. In Hebrews, it says both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and the ones who are made holy, that's us, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. That gives us an image of Jesus among us singing, and it resonates with the fact that in those passages from Ephesians and Colossians, Paul tells us that what we're doing, we're doing through Christ. And finally, there's one last voice to add to the mix. Zephaniah has this amazing vision of what it's like when God finally delivers his people Israel. And he says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. As you put together, all, I know these are just, just kind of small texts, but as you put together all the passages about singing in Scripture, you get the sense that creation history is a musical and as we sing, we are tapping into, we are participating in the reality of creation. We are singing the song that's being sung in heaven all along. And we're, we're singing the song that creation is singing all around us. And God is singing with us and God is singing over us. And we're, this is truth. It is reality. It is when we are most in touch with God's creation. I find that a beautiful image. And I find that really inspiring in our congregational singing. As we close, I want to land with, I want you to give three takeaways. The first thing I want you to take away from this is if singing is so essential to our worship of God, then what that tells us is that God wants us to serve him with our heads, our hands, and our hearts. Serving Jesus is not just about believing the right things. It's important for us to seek truth and to know God. It's also not just about doing the right things, although it is absolutely essential that we serve God. But it's also about an emotional connection, about engaging with God. It is a relationship with God, not facts. It is about a story that has transformed who you are. It has transformed your fate. It has transformed your life. And so it is right and necessary that we engage our, our hearts in our relationship with God. That's why it should feel odd when we, don't, when we aren't able to sing. It should feel like we've still got something in us that we haven't been able to get out yet because we needed to sing to tell God how we really feel about him. The next thing that I want you to remember is that singing as a church is about God first, the church second, and me last. We sing because we want to offer something to God. We want to offer him something beautiful and sincere, and so we sing. And so the, the primary reason we sing is for God. The second reason why we sing is for the church. It's for who it makes us to be, who it teaches us to be, how it forms us. And lastly, it's about me. My mentor back in Enterprise taught me something about worship. He said, whenever we're singing a song that's not the kind of song you would want to sing, look around 
at the people who do want to sing that kind of song. Look at how it's blessing them. That's why we're singing it. If you don't want to sing anything that was made before 2005, but we keep bringing in hymns, look at, and, and you just can't get into them, look at the people who are blessed by hymns. That's why we're singing it. Sing it for them. And if you feel like there's no reason to add anything to the hymnal after 1899 or whatever, you know, and all the best music was written back then, and we, and we don't need to sing all this new stuff, look at the people who connect with, with the newer songs that we sing. Or whatever, whatever those aren't the only kind of lines that we draw. But look at the other people who are blessed by that and sing it for them. Because we sing as a congregation. We sing as a whole. And finally, let me encourage you by saying that the singing of God's people can change the world. Because the singing of God's people shapes us as a people in ways that change the world. We are different as a congregation because we sing, and therefore our community that we serve can be different because of who we are. And the world that is served by, the, by a singing church is different because we are united in song. How, how often do you hear amazing grace in places where they would never preach the gospel? Right? Like, our singing, the singing of God's people, changes the world. As we close, I'm going, to cons- I'm going to encourage you to consider what God is putting on your heart today. We believe that every time the gospel is preached, that people have the opportunity to respond, and God is putting something on your heart. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, if you haven't become part of his family, today is the best day for you to do that, and we encourage you to come forward during the song or talk to one of the ministers afterward. Uh, if you want to give your life to Jesus, or if you're online, please connect with the church or find a Christian that you know and trust. If you're looking for a group, uh, if you're looking to get more connected with people who can go through this life with you, you know, as, as to do things together, to learn and grow together, our small, you can sign up for one of our small groups or, or uh, um, service teams through our Connect card. And finally, if you want to become uh, a member of a congregation, a family that is seeking to be made be unified in singing, to be as unified in our service as we are in our singing. That's who we're seeking to be, and you can uh, check the box for the Connect class on your card, and we'll get in touch with you about um, meeting to talk about who we are and what we do. God may be putting something else on your heart, and I pray you'd be open to that and consider that as we stand and sing our final song.